look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? Well, my friend, um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the heat is building in the oven. I have to tell you, conversations, hot flash. Eh? <laughs> yeah, well, it could be. You know, I'm 52. I suppose that's very true. Um, but if it's not that, then it might have something to do with the end of this year yeah. and building towards the election and the headlines yeah. and the market volatility going up. And it's it's going to be an interesting. Not one month. Percolating. Not one month, but four months. Okay. So we're going to have a great show today. Yeah. We have have a geopolitical expert coming on the show talking about the possibilities of what could happen in this upcoming election in the United States. Yeah. Listen, if you're concerned about this and you're thinking about it and you want to understand some of the broader implications, you want to stick around for the second and third segment here. We're going to talk to him about... What's going on? What's the possibility of a Biden win versus yep. a Trump win? What could happen what in the United mean? States? Yep. What are the big issues there? Yep. We're going to talk to him about what about Canada? Yeah. Where do we fit in all this stuff? Yeah. And remember last time he came on our show, he talked about this thing <laughs> called Wexit. Yep. And that maybe we should separate from the rest of Canada. Let's get an update. Let's get an update on that one. So it's going to be a great show today. Dave, I want to talk about the throne speech with you. Yeah. Okay. We're going to. Our, our prime minister said, pretty much by any means necessary, we're going to take care of this. Yes. Okay. In comes in the conversation, and we just heard, I think, on Friday, it was Friday, I believe, that the, the New Democrats and the Liberals kind of said, okay, let's bring back this, this whole concept of a universal income benefit. Yeah. So there was a short period, right, because it's a minority government where, you know, another party needed to step up. And we know that the NDP was looking for additional support for people that can't get back to work. Correct. Okay. So what's the alternative? This, what would be the this alternative? This is what I want to talk to you about, Dave, because we get a lot mm-hmm. of listeners of this show, our clients, um, people mm-hmm. who've, who've approached us and said, the government's doing it all wrong. Right. And I always ask, what would you do if you were in his shoes? A minority government, what would you do? Would you cut all benefits for everybody? But let's, I, I actually say, what if it was a majority government? Either way, liberal, NDP, conservative. Okay. Okay. Let's put it all there. And you've got a majority government. You can do anything you want. Now, I get that there will be some nuanced conversation around, well, I would have done it this way versus that way. But at a high level... What would have to happen to protect the economy, given, the, the, given where we, we are today and the facts that we have today? Now, I have no political affiliation <clears throat> to any party. I'm not, I'm not a member. I, don't, I vote, but I don't, have any, I don't have allegiance to any one party. Right. So I, I want to put that on the table because I think when, when I say this, some people will start labeling me as a, as a certain party member. Right. When you say that what choice they, would you have, I think what the throne speech came out with was, was what, part of it what I wanted to hear was what are their objectives. Number one objective is they got to get this, this pandemic, pandemic under control. Yeah. And that just makes, I think, every political party would have said the same thing. Right. Number two, we have to get people back on their feet. Well, no, no, no. We have to keep them on their feet until they can get back and employed. Fair. That's the better way of saying it. That's right. right. I don't think any other party would have said something different. Right. Neither do I. As for what happens in the long term about who you're going to tax and 
uh, a green plan and social media companies not paying their share for for content yeah. and so like sure okay right. that, that that can be debated right but we have those two issues yeah. so and those two issues the only thing i can think of at this point in time is you're cutting a check you're writing and you're building up more deficit and debt to get to keep people on their feet yep to put this pandemic under control, yeah. to aggressively find ways so that we can get our economy back, to people can go back to somewhat of a normal life. The ramifications of people being isolated have not been accounted for yet. Right. This is a hurricane example. Right. We're trying to assess the problems in the middle of a hurricane. Yeah. But all we're doing right now is trying to stop the wind from hurting our building. Right. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I can go on record and say I'm, I'm a conservative, okay, by nature. Okay. But I vote the issues, okay, safe. But that's how I think. I think conservative. Yeah. And so even thinking with a conservative hat on, I think about what had to be done. You know, what has to be done in the short term from an economics perspective? I don't care about politics. From an economics perspective, what has to happen? And, um, and I don't think any political party had a, any choice, no matter who was in power, had done their own speech, to say they had to say we're going to do whatever we have to do to keep the economy afloat and here's what i haven't heard yet from the province here or the federal government yeah is how quickly they want to get people back on their feet right and what i mean by that is from the health perspective so there's a company out of edmonton mm -hmm. who are going to be doing testing at the edmonton international airport yeah. using a saliva swab yeah. versus versus the regular yeah. testing that we're going and it's going to give you a result within minutes now let's assume for a second it works right why isn't this being pushed to go everywhere across the country? Right. We're, they're testing in Vancouver and other areas at the airports because that's the first place they want to make sure we've got covered. Why isn't this being tested at schools? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, we both have young kids, right? Your kid gets, gets, in, uh, gets around or in the cohort of one person having an infection. What happens? Right. They're sent home. Right. I have individual... We have employees whose child... Got, in, got was around the, the 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 impact of the virus at a hockey program. Right. The entire cohort has to be isolated for fourteen days. What impact does it have on that person's parents? Right. Can they go back to work? Can they like these are the things that we're stopping people from just going back to work? Right. How do we solve that problem? I haven't seen a plan yet. Right. Because trust me, it would be in my inbox so quickly. No, no, it's and it's very confusing. The rules are confusing. It's exactly, and it's not right. a Canadian and Alberta no, no, issue. No. It's worldwide. They haven't figured this out yet. That's right. But let's get those plans. Right. Why isn't that the number one issue of getting people back into into normal life? Right. And if, and let's focus on that. Then we can focus on the economy. Until until that happens, you're going to have a roller coaster ride on this economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so Throne Speech said what they had to do. Again, beyond the pandemic, and listen, we're going to talk to Peter Zion in, in a little bit about the geopolitical environment in the United States and the issues facing the U.S. and how that impacts us. And guess what? I'm pretty sure the pandemic is going to be at the top of that list. So this isn't a Canadian issue, right? We have to globally make sure we have an economy, Yeah. right? And to have an economy, it means people have to be employed and they have to be making enough money that they can both save, spend, and cover their debt. Correct. That's it. So work top down from that, right? And we need to, forgetting about politics, we need to get, we need to find the solutions to allow us, whatever the normal is for the time being, to get back to an environment where people feel safe, comfortable, and can work and be productive, 
right? Generate income and buy things because that's 70% of our economy. It just feels <laughs> like everybody, including government, are waiting for this miracle called a vaccine. Right. Do you think everybody's going to take the vaccine? Well, it's not. Yeah, there's so it, many it, issues. It's, is it's, it ready? Is it right. scalable? Is it like this could be longer than what we're hearing from some of these political leaders? Right. And and I think if we keep on waiting for a vaccine, we don't deal with what we have to deal with today to get right. everybody back to work. Right. They're working on a vaccine. They'll they'll come up with something in time. They will. No right. matter in what. Time. That's right. So how do we deal with this? Get these tests going. Get people moving. Get people safe. So they can they can be productive. That's they can right. they can open up their businesses. They can right. they can fill up a room of ten thousand people in a room and not worry about it. Solve that problem. Yeah, and in whatever fashion, right? It, if it doesn't, if we don't go back, we have to be adaptable. But we have to be adaptable to get people working, right? They have to be productive. That's mental health issues. Yeah. It's physical issues. It's economic issues. It's all of those things. People have to feel productive and they have to feel connected and all of those things that's what we need to focus on all right so with all of this happening yeah you're, you're worried about your future your retirement how is this going to how you profit and protect in these th issues yeah how do you bulletproof your retirement right we're going to talk about that at our webinar on tuesday october 20th 7 p.m live online now you need to register so go to more than money that's more than moneyradio.com to register. Okay, stay tuned after the break because we want to talk geopolitics and, in particular, how will the U.S. election affect us here in Canada? You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, okay. <laughs> So we're getting closer. Take that deep breath, buddy. <laughs> yeah, because we've got we've got a, a, an amazing two segments here to cover. Because Hazel, we're getting lots of questions. There's lots of people concerned about, you know, the uh, the upcoming U.S. election. Correct. And what does it mean? Not just who wins, but what's going to happen in the transition of power. What effect does that have on U.S. companies? What effect does it have on the world economy? And what does it have effect on us here at home? Right here and in my Canada. retirement. Oh yeah. Right? That's, I mean, ultimately, people will boil this down. How is this going to affect me? Correct. So let's try to make some sense of that. Now, thankfully, you don't have to rely just on your and my conversation in this case. We've got a terrific guest with us, a recurring guest, and a wonderful um, partner to our show. Peter Zion's going to join us. He's a geopolitical expert. Peter, welcome back to the show. Right, pleasure to be back. Well, my friend, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to do justice in 20 minutes total on this, but we've got the first 10 minutes <laughs> of this segment where we would love to get your thoughts, your take on um, on how this election is shaping up. Just yeah. give us a bit of a high level of what yeah. you see. Give, give us that overview of what's happening right now yeah. before the election, yeah. and then we'll talk about what happens at the election and after. And the outcomes, yeah. uh, but let's give us give us from your perspective what what the heck's happening in the world today. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with a touch of background. Uh, unlike. The parties in Canada that are a lot more ideological. The parties in the United States are much more factional. So, you know, you've got the labor unions and the Greens and, and the gays, for example, on the Democratic side. Uh, those factions don't always hold in the constellation that we've come to think of them as. Uh, they move around every generation or two, and we're going through one of those reshuffling periods right now. So, for example, the unions have left the Democratic Party, and they're now part of Team Trump. But on the same side, Trump has driven away the fiscal conservatives, the national security voters, and the business conservatives. So when people say, you know, the Republicans aren't acting like Republicans, 
that's right. The party is changing. Uh, and in this period of change, it's very difficult for the parties to function and come up with good candidates. And so they haven't. And that's why we've got these two guys running right now. <laughs> that's a fair assessment. Okay. Um, and so they're they're running on uh, you know different things, different ideas, and it speaks to your point that they're you know they now have a, they have a different base. Maybe just give us the setup. What does this you know what does this look like? What do, what what should we be thinking about um, as a U.S. citizen and perhaps as a global citizen? What 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 should we be aware of? Well, one of the things to keep in mind is one of the reasons that we're doing this party reshuffling is the global structures have changed. Okay. Uh, the Cold War ended 30 years ago, and Americans are only now getting around to adjusting their political system. So, you know, ideally, we would have gone through this 20 years ago, but hey, you know, we, we tend to delay. Uh, and so we've got a candidate on the right, Trump, um, who has proven to be not a very good manager. And he has very few true supporters, just most people plug their or close. Uh, <laughs> pinch their nose and uh, vote for him because they don't like the other guy. Uh, and as a result, he's probably driven about half of Republican voters away, especially business and fiscal minded folks. Uh, but he's also alienated the moderates with his mismanagement of the coronavirus crisis. But on the other side, you've got Biden. And the only reason that Biden has gotten the nomination, the only reason Biden was vice president, uh, was that he is very good at changing everything he says he believes in in a matter of a couple of months. Uh, he's been in politics for 40 years, and he's changed his mind on everything in order to tack with the political winds. Now, that's made him a fairly successful senator, but it's not clear that's going to make him a successful leader. And with the Americans backing away from all things global, we have a candidate on the right that's offended that America might take a leadership role, and a candidate on the left who's tacking with the political winds – and most of the groups on the left who are ascendant want nothing to do with the global system. So if you're looking for the United States to venture back out into the world and kind of hold up the ceiling that makes globalization work, free trade, low regulation, open markets, freedom of the seas, all that good stuff, forget it. You're not going to get it from one of these two guys. So this, this broad scale American disengagement we've seen for the last couple of decades, it is finalized in the last four years and that means the global trade as we now know it is over so so let's is so let's talk about some of the concerns that we're hearing at least through the media outlets and from um, anecdotally from people that we're speaking to in the united states one of the concerns is this whole change in in uh, globalization number two is the 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 bipartisan, more importantly, the, 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 the divide within the country that we're seeing. I believe that it's been there for a long time. It's just being seen more now because of social media and conventional media. And the third thing is this, the, the whole pandemic and how this will change what people do and their behaviors and how companies will operate. Are those the three issues that leading into the, to the, uh, the election or are there other issues that Americans are thinking about? Uh, really, uh, the divide and the pandemic obviously are driving the political conversation. And I don't think there's a lot of people in the United States who think that Trump's done a great job. It's a real black mark for him. And assuming that Biden can hold it together for the debate, and that's a, maybe a topic for another time, uh, <laughs> Biden's going to walk away with it. Uh, Trump needs to win every single swing state as well as a few blue states in order to turn things around. And unlike last time, there's not this big block of 10, 15 20 million populists who just don't answer polls. Uh, we know about those people now, and so they're folded into the numbers. So Trump has a very, very stark uh, mountain to climb. Uh, 
Uh, in terms of the, the partisan divide, something to remember about Americans is that we love to argue with ourselves. Uh, Jefferson, during the first presidential debate back in the late 1800s, uh, accused Adams of being a, a hermaphrodite without any of the redeeming characteristics, you know, whatever that means. Uh, so the point is we've been we're cruel to each other on a relatively regular basis when it comes to rhetoric. And for the rest of the world, this is probably a good thing, because if we ever are on the same side, it's usually because we're scared of and mad at something. And that can get really dicey for everybody else. So we're in this kind of internal narcissistic moment. The political parties are have flown apart and are coming back together. And in that process, everything's really loud and messy anyway. And then you're absolutely right. Social media has given a voice to the people on the fringes who normally don't participate in the political system. And right now they are. And right now that's a lot of what we hear. Uh, but your final piece, or your first one, actually, globalization, that is not even a topic for discussion in the United States. Uh, the military voters have become swing voters. The business community has been ejected from the political system. And so the two factions that normally care about that issue are, for the moment, silent. And on their left and the right, global issues just are not a concern. I mean, the United States only has four significant deployments left in the world. Afghanistan, Korea, and Germany are all going to zero, and the last one is Japan, because Japan, uh, 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 Japan agreed to pay the United States to stay involved, and that's it. American troops deployed overseas are at the lowest level since the 1920s, and they're still going down. Right. We're done, at least for now. Peter, there's a big question that a lot of people are debating and takes a lot of a lot of the headline space, and that is this transition of power. Um, so we've got about two minutes before we have to go to break. Yeah. Maybe let's finish this up and get your thoughts on that. I'm really not worried about that. Uh, the the mechanisms that transfer power from one president to the other are pretty start, pretty straightforward, and the institutions that are involved are among our most professional, specifically the Secret Service, which really, really, really does not like the incumbent. So if Trump tries to stick around, there will probably have to be some sort of contest among the Secret Service agents to see who gets to physically manhandle him out of the building. Uh, it's not something I'm concerned about at all. I mean, it makes great headlines, but it's not something that uh, the Trump administration can actually force anyone to do. Uh, and everyone who can force Trump to do something are the people with the guns, to be perfectly uh, obvious about it. Okay. All right. Um, so let's, we're going to have to go to a break. But before we do that, uh, Faisal, we've got, we have to try to make some sense of this. We have to have people live through this transition of power, right, in their, in their retirement and allow them to do the things that they want to do. So much distractions that can happen that can really impact yeah. your retirement, your portfolio. So how do you bulletproof your retirement as you're going through events like this? We're going to give you the solution on Tuesday, October 20th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. How do these changing winds in the U.S. affect Canada and ultimately your retirement? Stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal, and we're joined by Peter Zion, a geopolitical expert that we've had on the show before, and we're going to continue our conversation, Faisal, around you know, what's happening with respect to the United States and some of the changing winds, the political environment, and the, you know, the election that we've got coming up. But ultimately, we have to figure out how, how does this affect the rest of the world, and how does it affect us here in Canada? Can I, can, let me ask Peter this question, sure. here, because Peter's on the show with us. And uh, Peter, I like your take on each of the candidates. 
Let's go with the, the incumbent, and then we'll call him the challenger. Um, and then what do you think is going to happen? Who's going to win? My bet is on Biden at present, not that I really like the guy. Uh, in fact, I haven't even decided who I'm going to vote for. But he, Trump has mismanaged the issues that the American public cares about in the short term, most notably the coronavirus crisis. And as a result, he's considerably further behind than he should be. Had this election happened a year ago, he would have walked away with it. But that's just how it is. Uh, and so Trump, uh, the only thing that might save Trump is if that Biden completely fumbles the uh, debates. There's a lot of concern among political circles that Biden's mind has started to go. And especially in the last six months, he has not appeared mentally healthy. He's stumbled over his words. He's had problems with the teleprompter. And if that is something more than nerves or if that is something more than tech issues, if that really is what's going on with Biden uh, and it shows on stage uh, he will fail, uh, but it is right now his to lose. So let's go down if you're right and Biden wins. What happens to the United States and what happens to, let's pick on Canada? <laughs> well, for the United States, um, if Biden does what he says he is going to do, which is an open question since Biden's <laughs> mind changes every year or two on what his political beliefs are. Uh, he says the first thing is going to be dealing with the coronavirus crisis. That'll take a minimum of three months uh, between the vaccine and changing the public health system. Uh, that's not something you do overnight. Uh, the second thing is he wants to put through a series of legal reforms to prevent corruption uh, that is, are basically designed to Trump-proof future elections. That's a minimum of three months. So we're already getting past the summer vacation and well into the third quarter, probably almost to the fourth quarter. Actually, let me change that. We are going to get to the fourth quarter before we can really have any attention to do anything else. And all of this assumes that the Senate flips, too. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a tall order. So it's more likely we're going to have more of the same with political stagnation. The Democrats will control the White House and the House of Representatives, but they will fail to control the Senate. And that means there's only so much that Biden can do. He'll be in the same position that Trump is in. Uh, Canada's situation is both the very best and the very worst. It all depends upon your political leanings. Uh, let's start with the worst. The United States is going a little cuckoo right now because of its political realignments. It's awkward for anyone who has to deal with the United States, and Canada has no choice. It's not like Canada can move, and it's very difficult to redirect Canadian exports to anywhere except for South especially since the United States is abandoning the global system, especially since the Chinese are turning inward. Basically, all of those diversification options that Canada keeps talking about, they're going to completely go belly up, and it's going to be the U.S. and only the U.S. So that's kind of the, the worst. You have no choice but to deal with this. Mm -hmm. So let's talk the best. The hard work's already done. I mean, say what you will about Trudeau's negotiating style. Say what you will about Christina Freeland and how she was able to basically get steamrolled by the Trump administration and after talks. It's done. And Canada came out in a better position in the NAFTA 2 talks than it had any right to expect. And that's because, ironically, of internal political politics in the United States. Nancy Pelosi forced the Trump administration to give Canada certain concessions. And for you, that is great. And it means that moving forward in this era of deglobalization we're going into, Canada has privileged access to the only market that's stable and the only market that's growing and the only market that matters. That's great. And something to keep in mind about finance. People save more as they get older until the moment of retirement. 
And that moment of retirement for the baby boomers around the world is coming very, very soon. It's less than two years away. So we know we're going to have a bust in capital availability, supply and demand. If there's less supply, demand's probably going to go up and your remuneration for it's going to change. It's going to improve. Something to consider. There's been so much money for the last 10 years that people are pouring all their money in all of these ridiculous funds that make no sense. So like take, for example, developing countries. They're all put together. So Mexico and China and India and Brazil and Argentina and Poland are all in the same bucket. That's asinine. Those countries, those economies have nothing to do with each other. But if you suddenly reduce the amount of available capital by three quarters, all of a sudden dumb investment plays like that will fall away. And you're going to be able to pick country by country by country. And because Canada is in NAFTA, Canada has privileged access to one of the few developing markets that actually looks really good moving forward. And that's Mexico. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying go ahead and pour all the money you have into the Mexican bond and stock markets. They have a long way to go to mature to be able to accept that investment in a meaningful way. But Canada is very well set up to function into this new world that we're going into. Let's expand that then from North America to, say, Europe. And they've got their own unique set of circumstances. Your thoughts there? In the new order. Well, because of the demographic collapse in Europe, the only way the European system is holding together is by having massive ac- exports to the rest of the world. Uh, they're in a spat with the Russians right now that is going to get very, very dangerous. Uh, so that market's gone. Uh, the Chinese are closing their doors uh, because they fear a political upheaval at home. Uh, and closing themselves off from the world is one way to solve that problem. So that market's gone. And the NAFTA system is basically closing its doors to everybody. So that market's gone. So the, um, the Europeans have North Africa, and that's it, and that's not enough. So you basically have the European Union that because of its age structure, there aren't enough young people to purchase things, is turning into an export union just as global exports are going away. So the question is whether the European Union can function without the economic glue that has always been the basis. And I don't think that's very likely. Uh, I think a European breakup is not too far in the future. Whether that will lead to internal conflicts, well, there's a, there's a lot of things that have to happen before between here and there, a lot of things that have to go wrong for that to be the outcome. But the idea that an integrated supply chain system in Europe that services markets beyond Europe, that's no longer viable. Peter, you mentioned the word breakup, and you're talking to, to Canadians here and especially in Alberta. And the conversation that we had last time you were on the show, that there could be a potential of what we call it a, 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 a exit, yeah. where the West is going to separate from the East. Given where we are now, do you still feel that that's a possibility? It's definitely a possibility. I think that because of coronavirus and because of the energy collapse, uh, there's a little bit more sympathy in Eastern Canada for the, the situation in Western Canada. I, I don't, don't overplay that. I said a little more. Uh, and there has been a little bit of assistance that's come out, of, for example, health issues because it's necessary. And I think that has given a little bit of fuel to the people who really didn't like the situation but really didn't want to pull the cord and leave. Um, something to consider, though, U.S. shale oil output will be back to pre-COVID levels. Uh, within a month. Uh, We're almost there. And the U.S. refining complex is retooling itself very aggressively to run on the sort of light, sweet crude that comes out of shale, as opposed to the heavy sour that comes out of Alberta, uh, because it's 
Alberta and other suppliers just are not viewed as reliable enough now. Uh, so your window for this is closing. And if a decision is not clearly made one way or another, Alberta really will have the worst of all worlds. Its primary exports will go away. Uh, the rest of the Canadian system will basically be importing green energy from the United States where it's easier to produce. Um, and the financial position that you have been for the last 20 years will suffer. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that you should pull the cord and go. You mean, you've got to make that decision based on your own math. I, I'm, I'm saying that the macroeconomic environment that has allowed Alberta to thrive for the last 30 years is changing very dramatically, and it's not Alberta's fault, and there's nothing that Alberta can do to stop it. Well, on that sour note, <laughs> Peter, we gotta, we've got to leave it there. I want to thank you very much, as always, for your insights. Um, not just locally, but globally as well, and helping us take some of these big macro issues and put them in perspective. We appreciate you joining us today. Not a problem. We've been joined by Peter Zine, who's a geopolitical expert and um, contributor to our show. My friend, this is the environment that we're in right now. But you know what? Things change. And so it's not just about today. It's about the next 30 years of retirement that we have to get through. That's right. And we're going to talk about how you bulletproof your retirement through those next 30 years on Tuesday, October 20th, 7 p.m., live online, you need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. With market volatility going higher and fears that equity markets could plunge, is your retirement at risk here? Stick around after the break. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Let me set, set up this segment is with a statement that you and I talk about a lot. Okay. Okay. Volatility is the friend of investor who knows the value of what they own. <laughs> and it is the enemy of investors that don't know the value of what they own. Ah. So I want to, I want to explore that statement. You're like Confucius or something. Yeah. Might be. Maybe. Hey, yeah. could you imagine? I think more confused than Confucius, but sure. <laughs> Most of the keep time. Keep on going. Keep Most on of going. the time. You're on a roll, but Yeah, keep that's going. right. I want to explore that because I think I think that that simple statement um, gives us many many areas of, of insight. Now, what do you think is going to happen? We we've just talked to Peter about all the volatility that could uh, or the potential risks and uncertainty. Okay, that will lead to volatility. Absolutely. Uh, so I think that's about the only thing that we can say with some certainty is that over the next four months. So it's not just the November election, but yeah. beyond that. So let me give an analogy of, of volatility. People look at volatility as they look at it as a roller coaster. Right. We always focus on the roller coaster when it goes down. Right. But a roller coaster has to go up before it goes down. Right. And you're going to go up and down and up and down. So volatility goes both ways. Good point. Volatility is up and volatility is down. Let's, right. let's set the tone right there. Right. It's going to happen. And I think if we have more and more uncertainty of maybe if Trump loses, will he leave office? Right. Maybe there's going to be a problem. This When Peter was talking about CIA coming in and what they're like, this oh, is the a Secret problem. Service, yeah. This is a problem. We were in Washington less than two years ago listening to the former CIA director, former FBI director, Bob Woodward, former ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Canada, all speak. And they all had those same concerns two years ago. Correct. Right? That he's not going to leave. And there was... If yeah. he loses. Right. Should this happen, get ready for uncertainty and volatility. So this volatility, in my opinion, is going all the way to February. Okay. Now, what we know is volatility is scary for most investors. Absolutely. Okay. Things are bouncing around. Yep. 
Because we know over the past couple of weeks, we've been having more and more conversations about people that want to go to cash. They want to make a timing bet. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's, a, that's how this is all relevant, right? It's, it's, we know there's volatility. You and I often talk about volatility as an opportunity. We know that, that regular people, investors, see it as risk. As it's, it's certainly fear. Correct. Right? Creates fear. So let's talk a little bit about how you navigate through a period of volatility. Okay. So the first part of what you just said in your quote, volatility is a friend. Well, it, it's a friend of investor who knows the value of what they own. Perfect. Let's stop right there. Okay. Okay. So it's no, it's a, I like volatility. I've always said it's, it's always going to be boxing day shopping in high volatile times. Because what I've been trained on, what I've been educated on, and what I've been focusing my entire structure and discipline on is understanding the value of something. So let me give you an example. Yeah, put it in English. Okay. Let's say a 2020 BMW. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sell it for a dollar. Mm-hmm. What do you think will happen if I post that on my Facebook page? Well, do I get to buy it? Or are friends and family excluded? Everybody's from included. Okay. I'm in line with everybody else. The lineup will probably go all the way to Edmonton. Yeah. Now, what if I started saying, okay, I'm going to change my price, and I'm going to sell it for $500,000? All right. I'm probably watching the golf tournament then. Perfect. No one's going to be in line. No. And I might even get you know, some submissions of maybe I should take some medication or <laughs> Cuckoo. Yeah, put on a jacket that goes on backwards <laughs> right. or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So right there, either I have a lineup all the way to Edmonton or nobody in line because everybody who's either in line or not in line understands one thing. The value of that BMW is whatever that value is, plus or minus 10% or 15%, right. but no one's going to buy it when it's overvalued. You know what we do? We do that all the time with everything in our lives. We don't buy stuff when it looks too expensive, too expensive. Right. except for what? Stock market. Hey, that company will, pay, will take 100 years to give me my money back in earnings. That's what a price-earnings ratio is. I'm going to go buy it. When you don't understand value and you understand or you have the speculation of either fear of missing out or speculation of that's the only place that you can see growth over the long term, you would give up a hundred years of money just to make your money back? Right. Right. Remember tulips? Back in the day. Sixteen hundreds. <laughs> you remember this? This this was the well, first. Well, I wasn't around, but I've read about it, yeah. Well, yeah. You sound like it was like yesterday. You remember that? Don't <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sixteen hundreds. This is the first time it happened. Remember, tulips got outrageously overvalued. Yeah. And then one day somebody decided, well, paying that much money for a tulip doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. What happened? Collapse. Collapse. Tulips were just flowers again. So so you're going to see volatility because people don't understand the true value of the company that they own. Mm-hmm. This is the problem, and I think, with the average investor. They're buying something. They have no idea what they're buying. And as a yeah. money manager, right. my job is to look and say, this is the actual value <clears throat> of the company given where we are in the, in the economy. So why would I go and spend 100 times of your money Hundred years, sorry, of your uh, of to of get earnings. your of earnings. You pay a hundred years worth of earnings. You'll never get to your retirement <laughs> that way, <laughs> unless I you know, live to one hundred and seventy-five. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And 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 you, we are at point A right now. Right. Our clients, investors, have a point B in time. So I'm going to pick on you. Fifty-two years of age. Let's say you're going to retire at seventy. Okay. So you've got eighteen years of time frame. Yeah. 
why would I buy something that takes you 100 years to get your money back or 40 right. years, 30 years? Okay, so one, one of the factors the markets can trade on is momentum, right? And what we're seeing in a market like this is there's a momentum it's trade taking crazy. place. Right. Now, is momentum the right right factor to trade on? You'll have to make that decision. And as an this investor. is where right. when people were saying over the years, just buy the market. Right. Just buy the market. Right. Get ready because that market that you're buying is so heavily focused on that company mm -hmm. that takes you 100 years to get your money back mm -hmm. that you're missing out on a whole bunch of other opportunity. Okay. And I love it when people don't understand value of a company because they buy irrationally, they sell irrationally, and that means Boxing Day shopping has come into Faisal's computer, and I'm going to go and go pick up some great companies at dirt cheap prices. So what does this mean? What, so what we're talking about is we know that volatility is likely to increase here because of the fear and uncertainty, okay? So things are moving around. This so is, what, is a, what, is a, what does an average investor do? The average investor, first of all, if they're do-it-yourself, you have to have a structure and discipline for yourself about what you buy and what your sell criteria is. But if you have an advisor, ask them that question. What's their buy criteria and what's their sell criteria? And here's what I hear. Mm -hmm. We just buy good companies with dividends. Right. What? Right. In a market like this, a good company with dividend has been run up so high, so expensive, it will take you 30, 40, 50 years to get your money back. Right. Just to get your money back. Forget about growth. And the expectation of that company to do astronomical performance so your earnings are going to come back at a faster rate, what are you expecting? Right. Euphoria. Right. You're expecting everything to go right. Yeah. So, so I think there's a message, and if we again, we want to put this in English. So forget about stocks for a minute, right? If if you're out there and you're an investor, and we're facing volatility, ups and downs, okay, that the price of that BMW can go up or down on any given day. Correct. Okay. If the if if this was a used vehicle, and the seller of that used vehicle needed the money desperately, you might get it at a better price, a slight discount, right, to what the market it's price based on is. Personal circumstance. Right. And if there's there's none available. You might pay a little bit higher price. Okay, I get that. So there's some reasonable range and yep. of value, right? Yep. But when you start to go, uh, you know, one, two, three standard deviations about that, you would never pay five hundred thousand dollars for a BMW that Amen. is a hundred thousand dollars. Amen. Yeah, you'll get crushed, and so all you'll lose money. Yes, you're yes. guaranteed to lose money right. if you spend five hundred thousand dollars on a, a two thousand and twenty BMW. You're guaranteed to lose money. Now, if you accept that, right? So as as a human being, if we if we take that and say, yeah, that's that's rational thinking and we apply it then to the market. When we get periods of volatility, it doesn't mean that you have to be out of the market. Correct. Because cash, we've talked about this lots, so that's a that timing bet is a very difficult bet. What it does mean is you better understand the value of what you own. Correct. Okay? So that you can take advantage of when the price is low. Yep. Okay? Or Take profit when that price goes irrationally high. Correct. And if you do that and you've got a longer-term horizon, you know, more than four months, what we're talking about now, <laughs> right? I can't speak to you day traders, but, but if you've got an 18-year horizon like I might have if I retire at 70, then there, the opportunity there is to trade the relative trade in there and, and take advantage of that. And that's why protecting your income as you draw on it right. away from all this volatility right. is the is the... Kryptonite for everybody who does it differently. Yeah, that's your superpower, right? That's your superpower. Okay. 
Let's wrap it up. Okay. Uh, another great show, but we got to we got to talk about this and put it in perspective. What is that structure look like? Yeah, what is the structure to bulletproof your retirement? What's going to be your superpower through retirement? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, October twentieth, seven p.m. live online. You need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right. Uh, thanks for joining Faisal and I on another edition of More Than Money. We look forward to chatting with you next week. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodcundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodcundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodcundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodcundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodcundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodcundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.